Well, hey, good morning. How are we doing, everybody? Let me see some smiles. Let me see some nodding heads, etc. Some awake people. I like it. Uh, my name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors, and we're going to jump into God's Word in just a moment. Um, but first, I want to get you thinking about a couple things. When I say the word freedom, what, and we'll put that on the screen, what comes to mind? What, what images come to your mind? What do you first think of? Braveheart. Braveheart. What's his name? I'm, I'm blanking on his name, the actor. Mel Gibson shouting, freedom! Yeah. What else comes to mind when you think of the word freedom? America. America. Getting a driver's license. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. So would you say, would you say pretty positive feelings when you think of freedom? Yeah? Okay. What about when I put this word on the screen? How, oh, interesting, huh? Listen to your instant response. Oh, obedience. How do you, <laughs> how do you, how do you feel when you, when you hear, you must obey? Like a child. Like a child. Uh, maybe not always the most positive connotations, okay? Well, which one of these then do we tend to like better? Freedom. Well, what, I want to see what these two have to do with each other as we study God's word this morning. And, and maybe they go together more than we think. And maybe uh, just as exciting as freedom is an opportunity to obey. Let's see what God has to say. Grab your Bibles and open to Galatians chapter 5. Uh, for those of you that have, are part of our church family that have been with us regularly, we are in a series of messages um, that we are calling This Changes Everything. The gospel changes everything, and we're teaching through a book in your Bible called Galatians, which was a letter written by a church leader named Paul to a group of Christians, a group of churches, um, about 2,000 years ago. And, and because it's God's word, it's applicable to us today. So open your Bible to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to start at verse 1. Galatians 5, verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. It's interesting, both in, in, our, in our translation there, the word freedom and free, it's really, it's really the same word. It's, it's really two different uses of the same word. For freedom, you have freedom. Because you are free, you are free. There's this emphasis. For freedom, Jesus has set us free. And so then what are we to do? Stand firm, therefore. And, and if you've been here as we studied Galatians, this should sound familiar. Stand firm in your freedom in Christ. Do not submit, it says at the end of verse 1, do not submit again. Do not go back to, do not fall back into a yoke of slavery. Freedom. Jesus has set us free from the, the Old Testament, the ceremonial, traditional, uh, mosaic law in the Old Testament. And particularly, here's what we need to catch, particularly, Jesus has set us free from the Old Testament law as a method of salvation, as a means of salvation. At, he has set us free from needing to obey rules, needing to meet the, the requirements of the law in order to be saved, in order to be right with God. And so the whole, one of these themes of Galatians we've heard over and over is don't go back to rules-based religion. You've been set free by Christ, by his grace gift of salvation, by nothing you have done but 
everything that Jesus has done for us on the cross. You have been set free. So don't go back to rules-based religion. Don't go back to trying to earn your salvation. Don't give in to thinking that you've got to behave in order to be fully accepted or truly loved by God. Verse 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you, that if you accept circumcision, now what's been happening, these false teachers have come to these Christians and said, yeah, great that you follow Jesus, but you still need to obey this Old Testament law of being circumcised to demonstrate that you are set apart as God's people. So they have been set free from the law, but these false teachers are coming back and trying to put circumcision back on these followers of Jesus, okay? Look, I, Paul, say to you, verse 2, that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. If you, this is incredible to think about, if you accept circumcision, if you accept going back to works-based religion, to trying to earn your salvation, if you think that one aspect of the law is gonna save you, you're actually submitting to the whole law. If you think that you need to do one certain rule-keeping thing to make God pleased, then really you're submitting yourself to the whole law. And will you be able to match up to the standards of the law? Will you? No. It's impossible. We will fall short. We will, if, if we submit ourselves to the whole law and try to, try to earn God's love or our approval by God by matching up to those standards will never make it. We cannot fulfill the law perfectly. So we need Jesus. Verse four. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law. In other words, you that are trying to use the law to make yourselves right with God, you would be severed from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. And so we want to think for a moment here as we study this passage. The first warning in this passage is don't lose gospel freedom. You've been saved by God's grace, a gift of God's grace. Nothing you've done, everything that Jesus has done, you've been saved by grace. And so now, why are we resorting to human effort? If we were saved by Jesus, why would I try to live for Jesus by, by trying to match up to rules? And that's what we've been talking about as we've been studying Galatians. And he's saying if we resort to human effort, if we don't rely on God's effort, on God's, on God's grace, we have fallen away from his grace. We are defecting from the true gospel. So don't lose that gospel freedom. Don't lose the freedom that comes with following Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about losing your salvation. If you are truly a follower of Christ, if you have been rescued by him, if you have been made new, if you have a new heart, you are in Christ and you are secure. I'm not talking about losing your salvation. I'm talking about losing that freedom. We were slaves to sin. We were slaves to to the law and trying to match up, and now we've been set free by Christ, why would I lose that freedom and go back to the chains of slavery? In Christ you are free, so don't put on the chains of works-based religion. If someone is uh, professed to follow Jesus and they are still striving for approval through the law, 
perhaps they were not really in Christ. So we need Jesus. Verse 5. For through the Spirit, for through the Holy Spirit, for through the Spirit of God, by faith, we entrust ourselves to Jesus. We ourselves eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision, submitting to the law, nor uncircumcision, trying to be um, doing things on our own. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision, being Jewish, nor uncircumcision, being Gentile or non-Jewish, none of those count for anything. For in Christ Jesus, only faith that is at work in us, that our, our faith in Jesus is what matters, and our faith works itself out through love. Our hope for righteousness, our being made right with God, is only through faith in Christ. And our faith results in love for God and love for others. And so we don't want to defect from the true gospel and go back to what we've been set free from. We need to look to Jesus. Wait, what did we say a few minutes ago? How, how would you do trying to match up to the law? Good luck. Not very well, right? So we need to look to Jesus because he is what? The only one that perfectly fulfills the law. We look to Jesus the one who, who lived a life without sin, whose life was the life that we cannot live, who died in our place and took on the penalty that we deserve. So we look to Jesus as he goes to the cross and takes the penalty for our sin so that we can be forgiven and made right with God because the good news that we've been studying, the gospel, is a word that means good news. And the good news is that God rescues sinners. That we don't have to, that we can't rescue ourselves, that when we try to match up, we're not gonna make it. But the good news is that God does it. That God reaches out, that God pursues, that God rescues through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Verse seven. Keep your finger in the text. We're studying God's word here. Verse seven. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? These false teachers have come in and they're sowing lies and they're, and, they're, and they're getting people to think about other things. Verse 8, this persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. In other words, Paul is saying, I have confidence in the Lord that you will remember what you were taught, that your salvation is by God's grace, that you accept it through faith, through trusting in him alone. So Paul says, I have confidence that you will take no other view. And the, and the one who is troubling you, the ones who are false teaching, they will bear the penalty. Verse 11. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, if I still preach rule following, if I still try to add on to, putting, to you following Jesus, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross would have been removed. I mean, think about that. Why would the offense of the cross have been removed? If, if Paul were still preaching circumcision, if Paul were still preaching that we could be made right with God, that we could find salvation by following rules, by checklist religion, by being a good person, by doing certain things, if that's what Paul was still teaching, it would be back to us and our pride and our effort 
and pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps and I can do it and I can follow Jesus and I can match up with God, it would be back to human effort. And the offense of the the cross is this, that there's nothing you can do. The message of the cross that God rescues through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is, is offensive. Because, it might, might be offensive to some because you have no control. It's not up to you. Your salvation doesn't rest on your effort. It's all a work of God. No behaving that we can do will make us right with God. And in fact, if, if that were the case, that would take glory away from God's rescue plan. If we, could, if we could earn and match up, that would take, that would take away from God's rescue plan, from Jesus' willing, sacrificial death on our behalf so that we could be set free and be made right with God. The gospel is not what we do. It's what Jesus has already done. And so verse 12, <laughs> woo, verse 12, Paul says, I wish those who unsettle you, who's that? The false teachers, these people preaching law. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Paul, the church leader, writing to these Christians about the people who are trying to put circumcision on them, writes that he wishes they'd just go the whole way and castrate themselves. And that's our reaction. Oh my, shocked emoji. Would the Apostle Paul, this church leader, did he really just write that? And we might think it's out of flippant anger or out of some kind of, of twisted desire for revenge on Paul's part, but um, this is God's word. I don't think it's in there. I know it's not in there by accident. This is, I think that his, his words in verse 12 are actually an expression of, of love for God's people, not wanting them to go astray. Love for God's word, the truth of God, the truth of our salvation. And we've talked earlier in our series, Teaching Through Galatians, that gospel preservation is of, of, of the utmost importance, right? That preserving the truth of the gospel, that preserving the good news of what Jesus has done is that important, And so he says, if they're trying to mess with you like that, if they're trying to put you back under the law, not good. Verse 13, for you were called, here we have it again, the the passage we're studying this morning is kind of bookended by freedom. Verse 13, for you were called to what? Free, oh, that sounds, you're sounding excited. How about one more chance? because I'm making sure you're awake and you're tracking with me. Verse 13 tells us, For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters in Jesus. Only, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. So earlier in the passage, the problem was this. The problem was we had the Galatians wanting to go back to slavery and rule following, and works-based religion, and trying to match up. And so earlier in our passage, Paul says, don't lose your gospel freedom. Stay here in the freedom from the law. You do not earn your salvation by following the law. So earlier in the passage, Paul's reminder to us was, 
don't lose your gospel freedom. And so if the pendulum swings too far, what might we do? Doesn't the pendulum swing too far often in life? You're free. So if we let the pendulum swing too far, what are we going to do? I can do whatever I want. I'm free in Christ. I don't have to follow rules. I'm going to do whatever I want, live however I want. God's a God of grace, right? Verse 13 says, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. What's an opportunity for the flesh? The flesh in the the scripture is is a reference to our sinful nature. What we are apart from Christ's transformation, transforming work in our lives. Our flesh, our sinful desire, our human nature is tainted by our, the fallen world we live in ever since Adam and Eve. All humans are born uh, uh, inherently and sinful by, sinful by nature and by choice. So, so don't let your freedom be an opportunity for the flesh. In other words, don't let your freedom in Christ, thinking you can do whatever, result in allowing the cravings of your flesh to drive what you do. It would be letting our sinful desires run rampant. Our flesh, our sinful nature, craves what is opposite of God's best for us. Doesn't our sinful nature go against God's best? We we, want to self-preserve. We want to be selfish. We want to think of ourselves. We, We want to grumble against others. We want to try that forbidden fruit. Our sinful desires run rampant. If, if, and they would cause, if we give in to these cravings, it would be opposite of God's moral laws, God's best for us. So while Paul in this passage is saying, don't lose your gospel freedom, he's also saying, don't abuse your gospel freedom. You are free from the law as a method of salvation. You are not saved by following rules and matching up. But is there value in obeying God's moral laws? Is there value in obeying God's moral laws? Absolutely. Because God's moral laws represent his best for us. A life pleasing to God is a life according to his moral laws. We are set free from certain ceremonial and traditional Old Testament laws, but we are not set free from God's moral laws. We are set free from laws as a way of earning his love, but we are not set free from laws as, as indicators, as, as a way to show us how to live for him, how to live lives that are pleasing to him. We say we believe we are free But if we go back to legalism, if we go back to rule following, or if we swing the pendulum too far, we abuse our freedom. We abuse God's grace as if we could do whatever we want. So let's read verse 13 again. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom. Sorry, one second. Let me look back. There we go. Verse 13 again. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, 
you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So as we just said, we are free from the law as a means of salvation, but we are not free from God's moral laws, his laws that show us what is good and right according to God. We can't earn our salvation by following rules, but his moral laws represent the best life, a life that is pleasing to God. So we, our freedom in Christ is, is freedom to love others, to serve, and really to obey. We said freedom. We all got excited. We said obedience, and we all went, oh. But our freedom in Christ results in in an opportunity to love, to serve, to obey. In our freedom, obedience is pleasing to God. So what do we obey? We're free from the ceremonial laws, some of the the traditions, some of the things that were for the Old Testament times. But you might be familiar with Matthew 22, the great commandment, what we call the great commandment. A man came to Jesus and says, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus, if you had to look at the Old Testament, the Mosaic law, and and, and all those laws, and you were to tell us, what's the most important? And Jesus answered him. What did he answer him? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he closely tied number two to number one. He really tied these two together. The first is you shall love the Lord your God. And the second is like it. You shall love who? Your neighbor, others, as yourself. On these, and then listen to these words from Jesus. On these two commandments hang or depend the entire law and the prophets. That's Jesus' way of referring to the Old Testament portion of our Bible. On those two commandments, love God and love others, those, those two things sum up, depend on the, all the Old Testament law. So in other words, the heart of the Old Testament law, the purpose of the Old Testament law, the heart of it, if we summed it up, it would all be there to guide us to love God and love our neighbor. So we are free. Yes. Free from works-based religion. Free from earning God's love. Free from, from law as a way of matching up, as a way of being truly accepted. But how do we use our freedom? Jesus himself, it's on the screen. Jesus himself says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Not because you have to earn my love, but because you love me. He didn't say, keep my commandments and I'll love you. Jesus says, because you love me, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Keeping his commandments, obedience that we first responded to with, oh, Obedience is an opportunity that, that, that ought to come natural as God is transforming us because of his greatness and goodness to us. As he is making us new from the inside out, we show our love and our thankfulness to God by obeying his commandments. We love God. We love others. And as verse 13 points out, we serve others. So thinking again of verse 13, let's not use our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but to serve one another. 
We want to, and isn't this part of being a church family, gathering together with other followers of Jesus? We want to enjoy one another. We want to love others. We want to have an opportunity and relationship where we can live this out, where Jesus says we are to love our neighbor as ourself. And so we want to love others. We want to serve others. And uh, I'm going to take a little, just a little quick kind of side note this morning as we talk in recent weeks, uh, in addition to teaching through the book of Galatians, we're introducing just some ideas, some things to think about uh, from a book called Gospel Fluency by Jeff Vanderstelt. And um, so as I think about us connecting with one another and desiring to love one another and desire to serve one another, one of the easiest ways to help this happen, and I bet you're going to agree, is to enjoy food together. Isn't it? Doesn't food change the whole party? Or maybe what kind of party is it if there isn't food? And how how easy relation, how much easier relationship comes when we have something to to munch on and to occupy ourselves (laughs) while we break the ice with other people. Food is helpful. And um and so we come to gather on Sunday mornings as a church family, and this, and this large gathering of people in two worship services on, on each Sunday morning is important. We need to gather together like this, and we need to worship together, and we need to study God's word together. These are good and important. And, and you'll hear me often ask you about your personal time with God. Uh, are you in God's word? Do you understand that God speaks to you, that you don't need my help to learn from your, your Bible? I hope we're spending time in God's word and we're, and we're seeking to grow spiritually that way. Those things are good and important. But God has also created us for community, to know and be known, to live life in community, to know others, to really know others more than we can passing them on a Sunday morning, and to be known by others. We're made for life in community and we're made for life on mission where as Jesus transforms us, as he makes us more like himself, we now are growing in Jesus, but our growing in Jesus plays itself out by going out to be conduits of God's love to those around us. Conduits of God's love and proclaimers of the good news of Jesus to those around us, to our spheres of influence, to those that God um, puts us in contact with. And so just a meeting on Sunday mornings or, or, or a couple things during the week is not really enough. Participating in a program or an event or a time slot in our week isn't really enough. Uh, Participating in a church family is people, is knowing and caring for people. And 1 Corinthians says on the screen, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And I don't think we always think about that. That even in our eating and our drinking, we could do it to the glory of God. Even in the, th- everyday, the things of everyday life, even in the little things and the rhythms and the activities and the conversations of life, whatever we do, we could do it in a way that glorifies God, in a way that remembers the gospel, in a way that celebrates and thanks God for his rescue of sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so this... Um, this gospel fluency concept that we're just thinking a little bit about today and then in your, in your gospel communities, you're going to discuss this this week, um, is this idea of, of what, what part does food play in our community and in our, in our loving one another? Uh, God, I mean, think about food for a second. 
Yeah, no, I'm not. But there is some stuff in the back. When I'm done, you're welcome to go back and get a little snack, okay, if I make you hungry. God generously, creatively provides for our needs, doesn't he? God generously and creatively provides. And I say creatively because you think of the varieties of food. And you think of the crunch or the softness or this flavor or that flavor. God generously and creatively provides for our needs. And you know what else about food? It's not only sustenance for life. It not only energizes and makes our living possible, it's it's an opportunity for joy in God, isn't it? It's not something, I I knew a guy once I worked for actually, workaholic. He wished he could just take a pill and skip meals. Really? It's not only sustenance, it's, it's, it's a joy. And it's a gift from God. And so every meal... If that's the truth about our food, then every meal is an opportunity to remember God's provision that he provides for us, and every meal is an opportunity to, uh, to have the joy from God. So every time we gather for a meal, it's an opportunity to, to, to remember God's provision and to trust and obey him, knowing that he will continue to provide. Jesus said this about himself. It's on the screen. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So our physical meals on this side of eternity are foreshadowing, or or not foreshadowing, are, are meant to point us to remember this, that Jesus is the true bread, that true life, that true sustenance, that, that, that God's ultimate provision for us, I said that our food is a provision of God, true. But God's ultimate provision for us is Jesus. Because Jesus alone satisfies. And so every meal is an opportunity to remember and worship Jesus, trusting God's continued provision. And some of you are thinking of the Lord's Supper. True. So every few weeks, we gather together for worship And our worship time on Sunday mornings includes an opportunity to come to the table and take the bread and the juice in remembrance of the body and the blood of Christ. Yes, every meal is an opportunity to remember what Jesus has done. But I think we think of the Lord's Supper and we don't think of the 21 times a week that we eat and that we could do that and it could point us to the bread of life. So that's why... We have been encouraging you in your gospel communities to enjoy food together. Now, we didn't make it mandatory. We're not docking you points if you're not eating. Okay? We're not that mean. But can you see that we've had a reason for encouraging food? I think there's good reason to encourage food. And you know what? Um, That's why we're encouraging you to eat together as a gospel community. And I know it's work. I know your lives are busy. I know you're coming home from work and just trying to make it to your gospel community on time. I know that that arranging food or planning a meal, I I know it's work, but we're just encouraging you to try it. And if it's not eating a full meal together, what about a snack? What about an appetizer? What about dessert? And if it's not a meal, a full meal together every week, what about a full meal once a month? What if we shifted our conversations in our gospel communities from, ah, uh, let's just skip the food, it's easier, to how often could we eat together? 
And let's see what God might want to do with that. And then I also want us to take just a minute to think about those 21 meals a week. Unless you're like my buddy who wished he, that thought it was a waste of time and wished he could take a vitamin and skip the meal, unless you're like that, for the most part, we take the time to do these, don't we? For the most part, you're going to eat. And for the most of you, most times, two or three times a day. So what if we ask God to help us redeem those times and, and, and use those meals to not only remember what Jesus has done, but use it as an opportunity to love others and serve others? What if I thought to myself, out of those 21 meals a week, is there one I could be more intentional with? A group of people I should eat with or one person I should ask out to eat lunch with and invest that one or two meals out of 21 in being intentional and remembering what Jesus has done for us and being intentional in building relationships with people because we live out our freedom by loving others and serving others. So respond to these words. Freedom! Yeah. Obedience. Hey, look, see, we kind of shifted the tide a little bit there. You guys are tracking. I like it. Jesus has set you free. Church family, Jesus has set you free. Free to love God. Free to love others. Free to serve others. Free to obey for your good and to his glory. Obedience is not a means of salvation. Obedience is not how you get saved, but obedience is a critical component of the Christian life, of following Jesus. I would be remiss if I didn't let you know that you are free from the law in Christ, but I would also be remiss if I didn't encourage you that God has purposes for us in, in obeying his moral laws. If we are aware of the reality, now think about this. This is where I'm going to leave us. If you're aware of the reality of the gospel in your life, if the good news that God has rescued sinners has really captured your heart and mind and your attention, if you know that you've been rescued by nothing you did on your own, but all by the work of Christ, if we really know that gospel, how we are being made new, how we are being transformed, then obedience won't be obligation. Obedience will be our natural response to a good and loving God. Our transformed hearts will desire to obey. Our transformed hearts will ask God, I'm free, thank you, Lord. Now how can I live for you? How can I use my freedom to live for you? Look at this verse on the screen from God's word. For the grace of God has appeared. The grace of God. Bringing salvation. Nothing you do, all Jesus. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people and training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, our fleshly nature, and to live 
self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Friends, grace not only rescues us from sin and death, God's grace and the freedom that you have in Christ is empowering you and enabling you and freeing you to live out your faith in him, to live lives that are pleasing to him, to glorify God in all we do and say. Father God, we pray this morning that uh, we would be changed by your word. We come together on Sunday mornings and we open your word. God, I pray that it would not be to have it go in one ear and out the other, but God, I pray that as we open your word, we would submit ourselves to you each Sunday morning, that we would recognize that your word speaks to us and changes us, is applicable to us today. So Father God, we thank you for the word and an opportunity to study this morning and to celebrate and to thank you for our freedom. We thank you for the gift of salvation that you've given us by your grace. God, I pray for myself and others that we would would daily entrust ourselves to you by faith, that we would come to you by faith, not by our works, not by our efforts, not by trying to match up, but God, would we come to you in faith, trusting in Jesus. And God, we thank you for the freedom we have from the law, that we don't have to earn our salvation. But God, would you impress upon our hearts this morning that we are not free from from your moral laws as as indicators of, of what you want, of what is good and right, and how we ought to live. God, I pray that our obedience would not be something that is guilt-driven or that we do trying to earn or match up, but God, I pray that our obedience would be something that is, that is out of our natural, thankful desire to honor you in our lives. We love you, God. We thank you for sending your son. We thank you for the good news that you have rescued sinners through Jesus. Help us to trust you today. Help us to trust you always. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand, and as we're going to continue to worship through lifting up our voices, and we also have an opportunity to worship through our giving, so let's go ahead and stand as we prepare to uh, celebrate what Jesus has done.